Just to let you know, if you're new to the vineyard or you've been here for a while and trying to figure out how to get connected, the mission of the vineyard is to encounter the love and the power of God and then give it away to the world. That's what we feel like we're called to do and empowered to do, and we attempt to do that as a staff and elders, and I think you do too as a church. If you want to know how to get more involved at the church, you want a small group, or you want to know what ministries happen, there are posters out there. There are also QR codes on the seat in front of you, and you can find out all about the ministries that happen here, small groups that happen here, etc. If you want to um, have every single detail, then make sure Adam Kazel knows your email address. You can put it, uh, do the connect card there and put it on there, um, or just assault him. Adam, raise your hand so you can be assaulted afterwards and say, hey, I want to get that email and I want to know everything. All right. A um, couple of quick announcements and then, well, a couple of announcements. Um, this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, also Valentine's Day. Awkward. <laughs> so we're going to be imposing ashes, ashes in the sign of a heart. That's a joke. We will have an Ash Wednesday service, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. It is a little bit more liturgical, a little bit more quiet, um, appropriate as we enter the season of Lent, as we think about, pray about, um, order our lives to be a part of the mission of Jesus as we look forward to Good Friday and then Easter. Um, so uh, as a church for the last, we can't really remember, we think somewhere between 17 and 19 years, we have been doing a 24-7 prayer room. So right back there in the back of the sanctuary is our prayer room. Um, that will open next Sunday. So literally one week from now, that room will be open 24-7. Um, we don't want everyone to come at every time altogether. So there's a sign-up out in the lobby. Um, it's not our big poster as normal. It's a big screen and uh, on your iPad or on your phone. Um, you can sign up for an hour in the prayer room. And I would encourage you, yea, exhort you to sign up for time in the prayer room. The theme this uh, year is faithful. We feel like God gave us that scripture from Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and cultivate faithfulness. So that's our goal these next 40, uh, Psalm 37.3, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So that's our goal. That's what we're going to do. And we'd ask you to be a part of that by signing up for the prayer room and coming in. And um, in that room, there'll be a couple of different stations for you to exercise your faithfulness before God, to cultivate it, a place to worship, a place to listen and confess your sin, to hear from God, a place to pray for the world, the church, those that you love that don't know the Lord, for justice and then a place to sort of take that and go away into the world. Um, I was not a math major. I was a psych major. Whoa, big surprise there. It was the easiest way to get out of college for me. Uh, uh, but here's the deal. Uh, average attendance here, if you take the average attendance on a Sunday of the Vineyard, and if every person, the number who attend, would be in the prayer room one hour, every week for 40 days, we would cover 1,000 hours. So I'm going to ask you to do it. Consider making a commitment to an hour in the prayer room every week for 40 days starting next Sunday. It, I do believe it will change your life because God's in the room. Now, he's in you, 
But there's something about coming to be with God in a space for a time set apart, and I think he'll bring change in your life. So I encourage you to do that. Sign up afterwards. You know, if you really have to, sign up while I'm speaking later on. I will know and point you out, but it's okay. All right. Um, Adam, you want to come forward? Um, when I came on staff at the church 22 years ago, um, there was a policy in place already, and that policy is this, that every three months, every full-time employee must, underscore must, take a three-month sabbatical every five to seven years. That was so that we don't die. Um, and I've taken two and a half sabbaticals. Two were planned. One was kind of remedial, just confessing that one. <laughs> Those who know me understand what that meant. Uh, it's Adam's time. So you can clap. Um, so middle of May to middle of August, Adam will be gone for three months. He won't exist in the earth. You won't be able to contact him. Uh, this is planned and this is good. Just so you know, and Adam will say some more, this is not burnout. This is not, uh, oh, Adam. Adam's taking a sabbatical. <laughs> Something bad happened. It's not that. This is planned. This is the way that we walk in the church and understand work and rest. So I'll let you say some words about that. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, uh, yeah so first of all, I do want to thank our elders for approving this so, so willingly. Um, it, it's not a given that um, churches do this for their pastors. And so I am so incredibly appreciative um, that it's in our bylaws, and not only that, but like I said, our elders um, approved it willingly, and um, so I'm, I'm really thankful as I head into it. I did write this down as I told our, our leaders and volunteers on Tuesday night. I wrote it down not because I don't believe it, uh, but because I want to be consistent with um, what, I'm, what I'm communicating. Uh, so for me, the purpose of this sabbatical is spiritual renewal and clarif clarification of calling. I'm 43 years old. Um, I've been in ministry or formal education for ministry for the last 20 years. Um, even between my full-time positions, it, I spent those five years trying to find uh, a full-time position and working part-time in a church. Um, so as I see it, this is probably about my midway point. And as I go into what I assume will be the second half of my ministry, I want to be headed in the right direction. And so that's what I mean by clarification of calling. I will not be looking for another position. Um, yes. The, <laughs> this, as Randy said, it's not burnout. This is not a corrective measure by our elders because Adam's got some work to do. Um, it's a real sabbatical. I've never had one, and I want to be a healthy follower of Jesus who happens to serve as a pastor. So my last day before my sabbatical will be Sunday, May 12th, Mother's Day, heads up. Um, I will start with a personal retreat time. Um, as I mentioned, this is about renewal and clarification of calling. So I'm going to spend my time on my sabbatical finding out what is actually restful for me and um, growing in my friendship with Jesus. Uh, for the month of June, my family and I will be heading out to and spending time in Idaho um, and then Carrie and I are also planning a trip away in July or August. So as far as I know, my first Sunday back, my first day back should be uh, August 11th. Uh, I will not be attending 
Indy Vineyard Church during that time because I want to be truly away. Randy has already threatened me that he will forcibly remove me uh, from the church, and he'll recruit my dad to help out, and I know he'll be more than willing. Um, so, you know, honor your father and mother and all that. I will not be checking, let alone responding to emails, texts, or phone calls. The best thing you can do for me and for my family is to pray for us. Even if you mean well by checking in, please don't. I love you. I know you love me. All right, the Lord needs, knows what I need, so pray. We are the vineyard. He can tell you what I need. So we are already working on who's going to cover my responsibilities during my time away, and as, as that is solidified, we'll be sure to communicate that clearly to you all. Um, I do cover your prayers leading up to and during my sabbatical time. Pray that I experience renewal. Pray that the Lord would solidify how I'm to walk out my calling in the next stage of my ministry. Pray that this time is a huge benefit for my family and me, and then Indy Vineyard Church as an overflow and the surrounding area. Thank you. All right. Obviously, that's three months away, so we have some time to plan for that, but we wanted to let you know up front, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. All right, why don't you stand? See if you can find someone you don't know or whose name you have forgotten and go fix that. All right. Good job. Well done. Find your seat again. Cease. As you're finding your seat again, uh, there is one happy birthday. Ready for the happy birthday? Happy birthday to the vineyard. The vineyard church this week. Not our vineyard, but the big vineyard, the movement of churches, 50 years, 1974, this week. So if you are here, guess what? Praise God for the vineyard, right? Because you're here for some reason, because you're looking for God, you found God, he found you, you're uh, longing for his presence, so it's good. Okay. All right, we got some things to cover in a little bit of time. Uh, I want to get my Super Bowl reference out of the way so we can be dispensed with that. Okay. Yeah. I care. I love football, actually. I haven't watched an entire game all year, but that's because I was a Steelers fan back in the 70s and 80s. So I know what real football is. And Evan, I'll just leave it at that, right? Okay. Here's my uh, football analogy, and it was not easy to get this one in when you're talking about the wisdom of God. Consider the NFL quarterback. Millions of people are watching, billions of dollars 
seem to be on the line, no pressure. You drop back to pass. Extremely large and angry men are rushing at you, seeking to kill, destroy, and eat you. You see a man running down the field a mile away. Your arm goes back. Somehow, your mind communicates to your arm, uh, I don't know, velocity, trajectory, force, a bunch of physics stuff. I don't know how it all works. And you throw this tiny sphere 50 or 60 year, uh, yards down the, uh, down the field. And some other little tiny man who's running for his life full of fear and adrenaline, and also the concept of, man, how many billions of people see me ashamed if I don't catch this? Um, that ball sails through the air. That receiver cradles that little sphere in his arms without breaking stride, right? Flashes across the end zone, tumbles into a mass of celebratory humanoids. I wrote that line. And bing, millions of dollars are paid out. Right? How does that happen? Now, honestly, that's a joke, but how does it happen? How does the mind connect with the body to make that happen in front of all those people with all that pressure? How does it work? And here's the actual answer and my transition into the wisdom of God. Only God knows. <laughs> my friend is saying that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> But consider, we're created in the image of God, right? Every person created in the image of God. So we have supernaturally been endowed with this ability to, hear my transition here, to know what we have and what we know and how to use it in a way that accomplishes a good goal. Somehow it's built into us. The wisdom of God somehow has been communicated to the people of God. Now, I think what happens is that, you know, when we come to Jesus, we meet Jesus, then our spirit gets enlivened, right? The spirit of the one who created us comes into us. And all of a sudden, not just the goal of a Super Bowl win, but heaven's perspective, heaven's goals, heaven's means and methods, heaven's timing somehow inhabits us. And Paul will go so far as to say, we have the mind of Christ, which is mind-boggling, if you think about it. What happens when we meet Jesus is all of a sudden we get the perspective of heaven, and now we have access to not just the, the wisdom of God in the human, but the wisdom of the Holy Spirit within us. We're in this uh, series called The Way of Jesus, talking about the way we follow Jesus, the attributes of God communicated through Jesus and to us, which means we can walk in God's wisdom. It's not just an invitation, it's, it's a command that we would actually walk the way Jesus walks. Wayne Grudem defines God's wisdom like this. He says, God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. What I love about Wayne Grudem as a theologian is he speaks to us, right? No flowery language. Best goals, best means to those goals, period. That's the wisdom of God. If we want to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, we'll have to become students of Jesus' goals and his means. 
In other words, we got to open the Bible. We got to see what he did, see why he did it, see how he did it, and then try to connect with that uh, son of God to say, God, what does it look like for me? What does heavenly wis- wisdom look like for me in my life? I define wisdom for us. This is just my definition. I made it up. It's fair. You can take it or get another one. My, I define wisdom for us like this. Knowing what to do with what we have and know with God's perspective. Just knowing what to do with what we have and what we know with God's perspective. To me, that's wisdom. So if you've got a Bible, open it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you've got a phone with a Bible on it or an iPad or a really good memory, open it up. And I'm going to read kind of a long passage from 1 Corinthians 1. If you want to stand while I read, that would be great. Paul writing to the Corinthians, first of about 12 chapters uh, to the Corinthians about wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, and that's us. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. God, that's a lot of words, but they're your words. Holy Spirit, as you inspired them, would you uh, help us to understand and apply them and live them out? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We want the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. That is the wisdom of God. 
just let's be honest, it's wacky to man, right? Here's the big power of God, a dead God, who then raises from the dead to defeat death. Not the way we think wisdom would come to the world. The way to the wisdom of Jesus is death. We are having some fun now, right? When we place our faith in Jesus, Paul says, we die to self and we become alive to God. Death to self by believing in Jesus who is life. So we want the wisdom of God. It is the way of death. Death to pride. Death to striving. Death to self-sufficiency. Death to pretending. If we want to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, we'll first have to stop clinging to our lives. So let's let go of worldly ambition. Let's stop chasing status and stuff. Let's stop living for things. Now, little caveat here. I'm not saying things are bad or stuff is bad or the world is bad. God created it, right? And he said, this is really good. He just said, this is for you and not for eternity. He just said, this is not the most important thing. So let's not get on all this like, I need nothing at all. No, we need food. One of Jesus' miracles, multiplied food. Because it was good. And the people he created needed it. But if we want to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, know what to do with what we know and what we have, we'll have to make some room in our hearts for wisdom, which means we'll have to set aside some self. I don't think that's a real trendy uh, speech these days, but it's biblical. We'll have to put our lives back on the altar of God's love, which means we'll have to stop defending ourselves. We'll have to stop explaining ourselves. We'll have to stop blaming others, and reframing everything that happens in our lives. If we want the wisdom of God, we've got to get rid of some self. We've got to lay it aside. I, I think that's a command of the Scripture, and I think that's enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit in us. We get to trust that God is our defender if we want true wisdom. I was reading a commentary this week on a couple of these passages, and I came across this illustration. I'll just be honest. I have no idea if it's true, but it's really good. <laughs> so take the concept, if not the reality. I don't know. There was a church, and on top of the church, uh, this was the sign. Let every pulpit rightly say, here was the sign. We preach Christ crucified out, out on the outside of the church a declaration of what they believed and what they did. Um, it was over the archway leading to the churchyard. Over time, two things happened. There was ivy around this sign, like just growing ivy. Two things happened. The church lost its passion for Jesus and his gospel, and the ivy began to grow on the archway. The growth of the ivy covering the message showed the spiritual decline. Originally, it said, we preach Christ crucified. 
But as the ivy grew, one could only read, we preach Christ. And the church also started preaching Jesus, the great man, the moral example, instead of Christ crucified. The ivy kept growing, and one could soon only read, we preach. The church had also lost Jesus in the message, preaching religious platitudes and social graces. Finally, one could only read, we. And the church also just became another social gathering place, all about we and not about God. I don't know if it's true, but it preaches. And, and it is what happens to us sometimes. We start out, we meet Jesus, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then all of a sudden it gets uncomfortable. If we want God's wisdom to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, we'll need to begin Jesus' way. And that is death to the wisdom of self and the pursuit of self. Paul says, I die daily. Paul says, here's how I pursue Jesus. I just die every day. Every day I get up, I put my life on the altar, I let God do whatever he wants, and that's my wisdom. Number two, we'll also have to live without offense. Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one would boast. So that no one would raise themselves up against God. If we want to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, let's determine now not to be offended by the message of Jesus. It is offensive. It is offensive. But we as believers cannot be offended by the message of Jesus or the means of Jesus or the ways of Jesus or, here's the hard one, the timing of Jesus. No offense when it seems foolish. No offense when it seems weak. No offense when it seems lowly and humbling. No offense when it seems despised. No offense before God if we want his wisdom when it seems like nothing is happening. Someone, we were praying in our 10 o'clock meeting before the service and someone said they felt like they had a word and the word, the encouragement for us this morning as a people was, Delana, can you say it to me right? You had it right. God said to Delena, people think I am silent, but I'm not absent. We hear nothing and we think nothing is happening. We sense nothing and we assume that God has just put us on pause. Offense is nothing more than pride. In my daily reading, um, I do some reading, but I also, uh, in the mornings I walk and I listen to the scripture. I have a specific app I use. And uh, right now, I'm in Genesis. And I'm hearing the story of Jacob. When's the last time you read the story of Jacob? What a rascal. <laughs> Honestly. 
I mean, I've read the Bible. I went to seminary and all that. I'm thinking, this guy. (laughs) He looked weak, physically weak. He tended to lie. His name didn't help. Jacob, supplanter, the one that takes and overreaches. He pretended to be his brother twice and then blamed it on God. He had two wives and two mistresses. (laughs) I'm just saying. There was a bit of jealousy in his family life. He played favorites with his kids. He was a schemer, and you get to the end of his life, he was a bit of a scaredy cat, afraid of his brother. Did some really not so great things. And in the end, eventually, he becomes humble, dependent upon God, near to God, and faithful. And so God looks at this man who he created, changes his name to Israel, and through Jacob, God established a nation, a people, both physical and spiritual. And we follow Jesus as a part of that nation. This scandalous, doesn't make sense, kind of offensive, couldn't we get another hero? type of guy is the one that God said, I choose him. And now all of you who are a part of this church, you identify with him. It's offensive. We want better heroes. We don't get them. God can give wisdom to us and use the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. So God can and will give us wisdom. Um, I don't have this in my notes. I think it was, I think Charles Spurgeon was quoting Martin Luther or something like that. And the, the, the quote goes something like this. God created the world out of nothing. And if we'll become nothing, he might be able to do something with us. Bless you. So God can and will give us wisdom and use us. Let's give up our offense at the goals, the means, the people, and the timing of God. And finally, if we really want the wisdom of God, we need to seek the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. Colossians 2, Paul says, um, speaking of the mystery of God, he says, here's the mystery, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom, you want knowledge, it's in him. Doesn't mean that we don't read, doesn't mean that we don't study, doesn't mean that degrees are bad or training or seminars. I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying if we want to know what to do with what we have and what we know with heaven's perspective, we have to go after Jesus because that's where they are. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge We'll have to seek and receive what Jesus is giving to us at any one time. Now, how many just feel like, yeah, it's a great idea. That's hard. If you knew my life, what Jesus is giving to me right now, you'd say, wait a minute. This doesn't feel like wisdom to me. Paul says it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us Wisdom from God. And then Paul unpacks wisdom. I mean, three words. I could have used a few more chapters on these. He just says, here's wisdom from God. Three words. 
righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness, our standing in Jesus before God. Holy righteous because of him. Holiness, our lives lived out as Jesus. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Redemption, our secure future in Jesus. Nothing can take us back because he's taken us forever. And so here's what we have and we know. We know Jesus and so we have righteousness. We know Jesus and so we have holiness. We know Jesus and so we have redemption. We know Jesus and we have Jesus and so we can live from God's long-term perspective. This is what we know even when God and life don't seem to make any sense. You don't have to raise your hands. Just do your eyebrows. Does anyone feel like in their lives right now, God, this does not make sense? I do. What? I prayed and I thought, here's how you might do that. But you didn't ask me. And now it feels like this, and this is hard. Uh, another commentator I read, sometimes his name is uh, David Guzik. He says, God's wisdom is not man's wisdom multiplied to the highest degree. It is wisdom of a different order altogether. Sometimes we think, well, God's just smarter than us. No, it's a whole different thing. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's the God we serve. Bigger, grander, transcendent. Near to us, but totally other. And this most certainly means that there are times when we don't know what God is doing or why. How many times have you prayed, just said, God... <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> Times we won't understand how God is planning to accomplish his purpose in our lives. Times when the only description of what's happening is mystery. And the only response is trust. A.W. Tozer, a pastor in Chicago in the first half of the last century, wrote a book on the attributes of God called Knowledge of the Holy. A great book. You want to just dip into the attributes of God, the knowledge of the holy, A.W. Tozer. It's, it's a gem. It's beautiful. It's short. It's easy to understand and very hard to live. He wrote these words about God's wisdom. He says, To believe actively that our Heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. This is good. Most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never being quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It's to repudiate our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God. 
God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. I do think that's wisdom. When we say, Jesus, I'll take what you're, what you're given. I'll pick up what you're laying down. Like what's in my life, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to say, I trust you. It doesn't mean that we give up. It doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't mean that we don't fight for things that are true. But it does mean that we trust in a wisdom that's over and above ours, that's wholly different than ours. If we want to walk in the wisdom of Jesus, we'll have to seek and receive what Jesus is giving to us, righteousness, holiness, redemption. We'll have to trust in his ways and in his timing, believing in every single moment that we're living with him, that what's happening in our lives somehow finds its source in his love. It's not easy. So let's close with the practical, if you can call it that. James chapter 1, 5 to 8. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Let me just read that part again. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person, the doubter, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Man, that hits hard. You need wisdom? Just ask God. Oh, you should believe. Otherwise, you get nothing. I think that's what it says. Faith accesses wisdom. So here's the best wisdom prayer I have. We can pray it together. You can listen. You can write it down. You can look on the notes, whatever. Here's the best wisdom prayer I have. God, I don't know what to do with what I have and what I know right now in my life. Also known as I'm clueless. I don't know the best goal here. I don't know the best means to that goal. I don't have a heavenly perspective. God, I ask you for wisdom. God, I choose now to believe that you will give to me as you promise wisdom. I'll believe it and I'll follow it. I won't evade it or reframe it. Thank you, God, that you will never shame or condemn me just because I don't know what to do. When it seems, God, that you've granted my request, told me what to do with what I have and what I know, what the best goal is and the best means to that end, to serve your purposes, I will follow it. I will live by your perspective, even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus, I trust you. Let's stand and let's pray. Uh, I ask the ministry team to come forward. Those trained to pray. 
me just give a reminder, since we're talking about wisdom, our ministry team here, um, they're not trained to give advice. In fact, they're trained not to. The one thing you can't do on the ministry team is tell somebody what to do. Because our job up here is to say, you have a need, and I know the one who can supply all needs. You guys should talk. That's what we do as the ministry team. We just pray. We bless what God is doing. We ask God to do what only he can do. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your instruction on wisdom. Thank you for the Holy Spirit in us. Thank you, God, you've given us the mind of Christ. We confess. We don't know exactly what that means, but we believe it. Thank you, God, that you promise if we ask, you'll tell us what to do with what we know and what we have. Thank you, God, that you will show us your perspective in your timing. So, Jesus, we simply say to you this morning, we trust you.